We're there in John uh, chapter four now, I hope. And uh, let's uh, let's uh, now change gears a little bit after we gave that announcement. And uh, let's ask God to give us understanding and help to understand his word, the important truth in his word today. Father, um, I need your help this morning to have my uh, thoughts centered on you and your word. And I need to say the things that need to be that you want said. And I desire to to as well keep from saying things I ought not. So this morning, please direct my lips and I pray that your spirit would just have total control of this life. It's also my prayer this morning, Father, that uh, in a very real way, we would know that God is meeting with us as you promised to do. And as you said, that when three or four are gathered, you're in the midst. And so we're thankful for your presence. And we pray that you would just be able to work freely and powerfully in our midst to bring home truth to our hearts and lives and stir us. Stir us, Lord God, about the great need in the world around us and the great need for our own lives. And so today, touch our hearts, help us, please you, and may our time in the Word of God now just be sweet and fruitful, and may uh, this Holy Spirit be able to do his work in each life for the glory of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher said an epidemic is defined as any communicable nor or non I knew I was going to have trouble with those words. Non-communicable disease. Did I say that right? Okay. If I didn't, you can correct it later. That affects a disproportionately large number of individuals within a population, community, or region at the same time. Now, you know, if I heard that, I would have thought he was talking about what's going on in our world today. They call it, though, a pandemic. By the way, did you know there is a difference? A pandemic is more widespread. An epidemic is more in an area, a locale, or whatever. And so he was talking about epidemics, and actually he was talking about it a little while back before this ever came up. And he said, throughout history, our world has seen its share of epidemics. Uh, Black death, bubonic plague, malaria were just a few. Um, And then the medical community has turned its attention toward epidemics like like, uh, HIV and AIDS. and uh, West Nile virus was one. And there have been others that have gone on. And now we have the pandemic, all right? But epidemics, he said, tend to come out of nowhere. Kind of like uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. They sneak in unaware before you know it, and half the flock is missing, you know? Um, he says, now, um, I'm convinced that there's an epidemic that has an infected the Western church of our day. I'll simply refer to the epidemic as myopia. No, I'm not referring to the medical condition in which objects can be seen distinctly only when held very near to the eye. I'm talking about spiritual myopia. A kind of Christianity that has become so focused on self that it no longer resembles the faith of our fathers. The side effects of spiritual myopia can be seen and heard all around us, he said. Christian bookstore shelves are lined with volumes that entreat us, live our best lives now and become a better you. Much of the music that receives a substantial amount of airtime on on Christian radio stations is devoid of references to God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, or the mission of the church. Many of those references have been replaced by more subjective ones that focus on me, myself, and I. Songs are now intentionally written with much more man-centered focus in the hope, well, they'll receive playback on uh, mainstream media outlets. Even preachers have not been immune to this debilitating. Wow, okay. Uh, See, that's what happens when someone writes something that is... um, Above my grade level, you know? All right, there you go. Debilitating epidemic. In some circles, he said, the sermon is no longer seen as a vehicle through which men of God seek to communicate the truth of God in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Preachers increasingly have given into the temptation to allow their congregations and not the word of God to shape their messages. Consequently, some preachers have traded substance for style. 
And our congregations are showing the myopic effects of the exchange. Just recently, I experienced, he said, a striking example of this epidemic in my own community. I was driving down the road when I uh, noticed the backside of a church sign. The sign was intended to bear a message to the church's uh, parishioners as they left the church parking lot. Here's what the sign said. Claim your blessing today. Immediately, I thought to myself, what happened to the signs that used to say, you're now entering the mission field? Or serve God? Or love him? Spiritual myopia has left us in such a stupor that the person we focus on the most as we come to depart from God's house is ourselves. Having identified the epidemic, it's and its tragic side effects, we need to turn our attention towards a cure. And and here's how he concluded. He said, the only cure I'm aware of is to take our focus off ourselves and put it on God. And uh, he's right. Jesus Christ in John chapter 4 shares with us, exemplifies before us what such a life looks like. He wasn't involved in spiritual myopia. He was attentive to and focused on and living for someone else, for something else. And such is what God expects of every Christian. The words are found in John chapter 4 and verse 34, where the Bible says this, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Do those words sound at all familiar to you? They should, because we've been saying them, or at least part that's part of what we've been saying throughout the entire month in most all of the services here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. We have encouraged you to memorize these verses because they talk about God's will being done uh, in our lives and in, uh, in this year, 2021, which is what our focus is and what every Christian should be interested in. Now, what we find as when Jesus made this statement in John 4:34 is that he exemplifies what it's all about. And there are many things that we can learn from John chapter 4 that will help us even in our missions month as well. In fact, the focus today and the focus of Jesus Christ in John chapter 4 was that matter. And I hope you will see that today as we get to look at the verse you've been memorizing and preach from it in our missions month. Because it's all about missions. It's also all about how we're supposed to live our lives for the glory of God. So this morning, there are three or four points from verses, actually starting in verse 31 and on through verse 38, where we have this section where Jesus Christ shares that wonderful truth he did in verse 34, that his meat was to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So I want you to know, first of all, this morning, and a wonderful truth from that statement and from what Jesus Christ said. Do you understand that John chapter 4 actually tells us something that is the will of God? Jesus said, my meat is to do. I'm satisfied by doing the will of the Father. So then, get this, and I'm I'm trying to, I'm not above you on this one, I don't think, because I understand it, all right? But what Jesus did in John 4 then is the will of the Father. Am I right? What he has just accomplished, what has just been finished in the verses previous, are exactly what the will of the Father is. And you know what that will is? God's will. His will is missions. His will is missions. That is what Jesus Christ was all about. That is what satisfied him here in John chapter 4. In fact, uh, as we look at this first point that God's will or his will is missions, we find that the will and work of the Father is the salvation of the world. Look again once at verse, uh, once again at verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do, first of all, the will of him that sent me and, you see it, to finish his work. All right, so Jesus said there's two things. There's a will of God, there's a work of God. And both actually are working in conjunction. He says, that is my focus. That is my job. All right, then, what did Jesus do? What's just been happening? What's taking place when Jesus makes this statement? 
By the way, if you don't know what's going on in John chapter 4, then you've been memorizing verses you probably don't exactly understand. I think probably most in this room already knew the story. But if, you, if you're going to understand what Jesus said when he said, my need is to do the will of the Father, you got to know the story. So here's what's going on. Jesus Christ is on a journey. He's on a trip. He's going from Judea, and he's headed to Galilee. The reason he has left Judea is because the, the Pharisees were giving him some trouble, and there were some problems and some concerns, and I think ultimately because they were going to try to take his life. In fact, that happened a few different times that Jesus Christ was going into Galilee to continue ministry under the direction and leadership of the Father. This is what God wanted for him, the Father wanted for his life. Now, as he's on this journey, he goes through, thank you very much, so you do know the story. And as he's going through Samaria, he comes to the city of Samaria, and he's sitting by a well. As he's seated there, um, the disciples go into the city, they buy food, and there's a woman that comes out to get water, and we don't know her name. Actually, we all think her name is the woman at the well, but that's just because we've given her that name. Now, I'm wondering if someday, you know, in heaven, we'll actually find out if her name was, you know, Esther or, or you know, Mary or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, what happens in the story is, is just precious. It, it's wonderful because... Jesus strikes up a conversation with this woman that's coming to the well to get water. The woman at the well. Woman at the well. I don't know. Whatever her middle name is at the, I, you know, whatever. Anyway, as he strikes up this conversation, he asks her for water. She's surprised he would speak with her because Jews didn't talk with the Samaritans, didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans because Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jews. They were and then half of the other nations, and Jewish, strictly Jewish, Jewish people would have no dealings at all. But that didn't concern Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ was concerned about the Father's will. And the Father's will is going to be revealed in what he did with this woman, because as he asks her for water, uh, she, uh, she says, well, I don't even know why you would talk with me. And he said, I have living water to give you if you'd ask me. And she doesn't understand the whole thing. But ultimately what happens is he, she finds out that what Jesus has to offer is eternal life. And she finds out that, that he could give her living water that would satisfy her need for all eternity. And she gets saved. She realizes, in fact, he even brings out the fact that she's a sinner. She had five husbands, and the man she was with wasn't her husband then. And so she had six different men. She was living in an immoral relationship. She was convicted about that. It's very clear from, from the passage. And Jesus Christ presents himself as the Messiah, and she believes that he indeed is. And he proves that to be the case. And she gets saved. And you know what she does? She does what anyone who's saved should do. She goes into the city and she tells everyone that she knows, all the men in the city. Is that any surprise? She tells the men in the city, a man has told me all that I've ever, I've ever done. Is not this the Christ? And do you know what the Bible says? A bunch of people got saved before they ever met Jesus based on the testimony of this lady. And she didn't even give the Romans road. Can you believe that? The Romans road wasn't even written. She just shared with people that Jesus is the Messiah. She believed him to be that, and she trusted and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and got saved. So let me ask you, what is the will and the work of the Father according to what happened that day? When Jesus, at the end of all this, is still sitting there, he's still at the well, the woman has gone back into the city. The men have come, and they have food now because they did what they were, they were planning to do. They bring food back, and they say, Lord, eat. <laughs> Jesus said, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Does that verse sound familiar? Should. And as he makes that statement, then the disciples ask the question, well, was given them to meat to eat. Who's come? And Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of the Father. I, he says, my do the will of him that sent me, I'm sorry, and to finish his work. So what is the will and the work of the Father? Here's what it is. Very plainly, very clearly, the salvation of the world. 
matter what race, no matter what nationality, no matter what a person looks like, no matter what a person is, the work and the will of the Father in heaven is the salvation of souls. Jesus offered water that is living water that gives everlasting life. And she found that water that day and she got saved. And when Jesus comes to the question of, hey, look, it's time to eat now. We've got some food for you. Eat. Jesus says, I'm already satisfied because what satisfies me, what meets my need is to do the work that the father has given to do or what is the will of the father. And Jesus Christ then expresses very clearly what the will of the Father is, the work of the Father is. We've already shared with you as we've studied this subject of the will of God, a number of verses that tell us what God's will is. But this story clearly pictures the truth that God is involved in and God is concerned about missions. God is concerned about a lost world. God is concerned about people hearing the good news, how Jesus Christ can give them eternal life. God is interested in, and God's will and God's work is all focused on the salvation of the world because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says in the book of Titus, uh, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, chapter 2 and verse 4, that God would have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. As we already said, Peter mentioned that fact in 2 Peter 3, 9, when he said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Jesus Christ himself lived that out. So when we come to verse 34, if you haven't understood it before, when Jesus said, Jesus Christ said, what satisfies me, my need in life, what meets my needs is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. He was telling us exactly what the will of the Father is and the work of the Father is. Do you know that? Do you understand that? And are you focused on that as well? The will and work of the Father is the salvation of the world. Now, it's interesting because Jesus said, my need is to do the will of him, and it's also to finish his work. You see, Jesus wasn't only interested in doing the Father's will. He wasn't only interested in people hearing about how they can be saved and the news about eternal life. He was also interested in doing the Father's work. And this is interesting because when we come to this verse, we might say, well, we need to do the will and the work of the Father. But I don't know if that necessarily is true. You see, Jesus Christ had a part in the work. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, the will of the Father is for everyone to be saved. The work of the Father then is to provide a way for that to happen. You and I cannot do in this verse the work you and I can do and be involved in the will. Does that make sense? Why? Because the work of the Father was the salvation of the world. And there's only one person who could do that. And that's who was there. And that's who was satisfied when he was doing the will of the Father and also the work of the Father because he was doing exactly what the Father wanted. And he was taking the next step that he needed to take in order to fulfill all that was written in Scripture so that he could indeed be the Savior of the world. So what satisfied Jesus Christ was this. The Father has a work to complete, and I'm here to do it, and I will complete it. The Father has a will, and that is the salvation of the world. And when I'm doing that, that satisfies my life. So we find that the will of the Father, his will, is indeed missions reaching a lost world. The will and work of the Father, then, is the most satisfying thing you could ever do. At least that's what Jesus said. I mean, what's when you're hungry, what's more satisfying than eating? Come on, seriously. That's probably one of the strongest desires in, in, in all, well, other than sleep, right? The desire for food. When you're hungry, it takes your attention. I mean, I mean it takes your, your attention away from everything. It's hard to focus, isn't it, when you're working, when you're hungry. It's hard to do the things that you ought to do when you're hungry. It's hard to listen to a message when you're thinking about where you're going to eat this afternoon. Or what you're going to do for lunch. Or if you're going to have that peanut butter and banana sandwich for lunch or something. Now, see, I started you thinking about food, and I just lost you for the rest of the message. Shouldn't have done that. That really wasn't wise. But the truth of the matter is when you're hungry... It often takes your attention from all other things. But you know what Jesus said? I don't need food 
because I am satisfied by doing the work, the will of my Father. Let me tell you something that this passage challenged me once again about, and it's something that I know, but winning people to Jesus Christ is one of the most intensely satisfying things you can do in life. I found that to be true as I've had opportunities to witness to people and share Jesus Christ with them and over the years see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've had the same. Maybe you've had that joy in dealing with your children or maybe you've had that in life as you've shared with a coworker or someone else or you saw them come to church and get saved and you, you, you experienced, if you would, the satisfaction of doing God's will. There's nothing like it in the world. Seriously, there's nothing like it. I told you uh, just recently in a, in a message that, you know, there are times that I've gone out in visitation. I didn't really feel like it. But when I got back afterwards, man, it was like, I'm glad I went. Well, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because doing the will of the Father, seeking to do that work of sharing the gospel, and, and as we use the term sowing and reaping that Jesus will talk about shortly in these verses a little bit later. As we do that work, it is intensely satisfying. It is something that meets a need that nothing else can meet in this world. And you know what the sad thing is? And I think this preacher was kind of hitting on this. There are people in Christians who have spiritual myopia, who are so centered in themselves, they've never had the opportunity and they've never focused on actually doing the will of the Father. And as a result, they have never experienced the satisfaction that comes in doing the Father's will. Look, if you've never had the opportunity to share the gospel, if you've never had an opportunity to sow the seed, or you've never taken advantage of it, can I I say this today? Jesus tells you in this verse, you are missing out. You are missing out on something wonderful. You see, the will of the Father, the will and work of the Father is the salvation of the world. And when you get involved in that, you will find it is intensely satisfying. Now, his will, notice in verse 34, is to be our meat. Okay, the the will of the Father is missions. It's reaching a lost world with the message of the gospel. His will as well is to be our meat. That's what Jesus said. My meat is to do the will of him that that sent me and to uh, finish his work. By the way, let me just say one other thing about this. When Jesus said he was finishing his work, and the reason I said I don't think you can do that is because the word finish means to complete, and it is the same form of the word that was used when Jesus hung on the cross, the last words he said, which were, Jesus came to finish, to complete, the work of God, and he did. And as a result, you and I have the privilege now of going with the gospel message, the message of missions, to share with people the wonderful news that they can be saved, and it is a satisfying thing. But that is to be our meat. Jesus said, my meat is to do his will and to complete his work. And I did. I am doing that very thing. And I would believe he shares with us the very same thing. You say, well, how can you say that? Because Jesus was saying this is what satisfied him. Because Jesus, before he left this earth, said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Over and over, Jesus talked about the mission that Christians would have. And when you look at the book of Acts, every Christian understood that our meat is to do the will of the Father. And bring people to Jesus Christ. So Jesus, in expressing what his desire was, expresses as well what our desire should be. His will, God's will, the Father's will, is to be our meat. Now, when it's our, our meat, our satisfaction will come in doing it. You know, it's one thing to talk about, and, and I, I get convicted every time I preach. Every time I preach a message on, on prayer, I get convicted. I, it's un, undoubtedly, there's something in that message because there's always something I can do to work on and some, some area I need to improve. Every, almost every time I preach on soul winning and I preach on being a missionary and sharing the gospel with people, um, I get challenged because the satisfaction 
the meat that Jesus got wasn't just because he knew the will of the Father. He knew missions was what a Christian is supposed to do. What satisfied him? Why could he say, look, I don't need anything to eat? And again, that's one of the most basic, one of the strongest needs of the human body is when you're hungry, to feed it, to take care of it. So how could he be in a place where I don't need anything anymore? What was it? It was in doing the will. And quite honestly, maybe the reason why some Christians aren't satisfied in the Christian life is because we haven't been involved in doing the will. And maybe one of the reasons why our attention so often can be on other things, the myopia the preacher talked about in the, in the opening illustration, is because we haven't been doing and therefore we're not satisfied. See, here's the truth. We, we can just become, uh, you know, motionless in our Christian life. I, I read a story about a guy that I thought was interesting. Bill Fuqua is his name. And uh, there was a sign on the stage that proclaimed, the motionless man make him laugh. And on the sign it said, win $100 if you make him laugh. So the temptation was irresistible. And a lot of people, that as the man stood there, in fact, for three hours, boys and girls, men and women, performed everything they could. They told every joke they could dream up to get Bill Fuqua to laugh because he was called the motionless man. Yet he stood perfectly still, doing nothing. Did you know Fuqua is in the Guinness Book of World Records? He's the champion at doing nothing, at least according to them. You say, what does that mean? Well, he appears so motionless during routines at shopping malls and, and amusement parks and other places. He's sometimes mistaken for a mannequin. Have you ever seen something like that before? Well, Bill discovered his talent at age 14 because he was standing motionless in front of a Christmas tree as a joke. A woman came up and touched him and said, oh, I thought it was a real person. He was doing a good job. He said, doing nothing the person writing about this said, is really impossible even for the motionless man. Fuqua attributes his feigned paralysis to hyperelastic skin, an extremely low pulse rate, and intense concentration. Now, he may not laugh at your jokes, but he admits he still has to breathe and blink occasionally. The preacher who told and shared the illustration shared the story said this, I read about Bill, the motionless man, and I thought about so many churches. So many churches, so many congregations, so many individuals in the church that have mastered the art of doing nothing. Um, Doing nothing in regards to fulfilling God's will in this matter of sharing the gospel. Just going through life busy with my own things and very rarely ever conscious of the fact that my father has a will that could satisfy me immensely if I do it. But I haven't taken the time. And I'm not doing what I ought. So the question could be asked, are, we, are you like Bill or are you like Christ? Christ was satisfied because he was doing the father's will. So when it's your meat, you're, you're going to act upon it or you're going to do something about it. When it's your meat, you think about it above other things. Now, we already shared the fact that it was hungry, right? We find that in verse 8. Look, if you would, back there. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. You would assume, at least you believe, well, maybe the disciples just said, we're hungry. Okay? So the Lord said, I'll, I'll wait here. But we also know something else. If you look back at verse 6, now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being what? All right, wearied with his journey. So he's hungry and he's tired. Two of the strongest needs, human needs that we have. I'm tired and I'm hungry. And when I'm tired and when I'm hungry, or when you are, what are you like? Cranky? Don't want to talk with anyone. I just want to meet the needs that I have. I want to get some rest. And I want to eat. Oh, yeah, sure. Sometimes we go on. But most of the time, that's what we're focused on. And yet, and yet, Jesus, when he was both tired and hungry, focused on talking with a woman. Let me ask you a question. 
if you were on the by the side of the well, you were tired and you were hungry and a woman came, what would you be looking for? And what would you be thinking about? And what would you probably be conversing about? Give me water. Okay, that's that's part of it. That's going to meet at least a little bit of the need. But Jesus went far beyond that. And he took it to the level it needed to be, fulfilling the Father's will. And I find John chapter 4 challenging because when those things are going on in my life, if I was extremely hungry and had to go to, the, to a restaurant, to a store to get something to eat, and I'm extremely hungry and I'm really tired, one of the last things, I, and I, again, you know, I, I'm, always, I'm always telling you how bad your pastor is. I'm thinking about I want the food so I can go eat. I'm not thinking I'm going to get food from a, a lady or a gentleman who needs Christ. Do you? I'm not thinking, you know, if I could get water, then I could maybe share with this lady how she could get saved. I'm thinking, give me food. Give me rest. Leave me alone. Am I unlike anyone else in this room? And yet our Lord teaches us and says, you want to find satisfaction in life. And when we talk about the meat, you've got to put aside the way you feel and what you're thinking and what you want in order to do this. And sometimes you're going to have to make real sacrifices. Because the, some of the strongest desires that human beings have, Jesus Christ put aside so that he could do this work. And... Um, I find that challenging. I, I ask myself the question when when um, when someone comes with a package to the church, am I thinking this person may need Jesus Christ or am I thinking, oh, there's the package I ordered. I want to get it and I want to open it up and I want to get the stuff out and I want to. Am, am I are we are we are we connecting at all? Look, the very things that humanly we would give as an excuse for not witnessing Jesus Christ put aside. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I just want to get some food. I want to get some rest. And I want to get on my way because I got a place to be. You mean witness to this guy, Lord? Come on. I'm just getting gasoline here and I got to leave in two minutes. Come on, have you been there? Am, am I? Am I? Is there anything up up there just like saying, okay, resonating at all this morning? That if it's our meat, we need to think about it more often than we do. Okay, let me give you another illustration to make me look bad. All right, a number of years back, my mother was with us as we vacationed in Florida, and she suggested a church. That she attended uh, while we uh, she spent one winter in Florida um, years before, and so we went to this church. And when we went to this church that day, they happened to have a musical family that was that was performing. Well, let me say that the musical family that was performing was not performing the kind of music that we would have here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church, or that any church should have at their church at any independent fundamental Baptist church, but. That was going on. So, so, so I'm there. I'm there with my mom. There with the family. The entire family was there. And I came real close. And I have done it before. I came real close. I was biting my lip. I came real close to just leaving. The music was that offensive. The music went on for about 45 minutes. I kept thinking, okay, they're going to do a few songs and then, you know, we'll get to the message and we can, we can get through this. We live through this. Didn't want to embarrass mother. You know, I mean, there's just so many different things that are going on in my mind as well. It's, it's Sunday morning and I'm a guy. So I'm hungry. Come on. 
the guys were looking at me like, so I'm hungry. I mean, really, the truth is it doesn't take Sunday morning. It's, it's Monday morning and Monday afternoon and Monday evening. And, you know, it doesn't matter what day of the week. I'm always hungry. Anyway, and so I'm hungry. It's 11.45 or, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's almost 12 o'clock. The music finally gets done, and the preacher gets up, and he says, all right, turn to such and such a passage. Okay. All right. The guy's got to have a short message. It's 12 o'clock, people. And I am. I, I'm thinking, okay, there's a Chili's down the road. There's a... There's a, oh, yeah, we could go back that way. We could get pizza. I, I, and don't tell me that never goes on in your mind. <clears throat> I already started that thought this morning, didn't I? All right, so I'm, so I'm thinking that way. And he gets up, and he starts into this message. About three or four minutes into the introduction, he made this comment. If you think I'm cutting short today, folks, you're mistaken. And then he laughed. He preached until 12.50. I got nothing. You say, well, Pastor, I wouldn't either. I was thinking lunch. I'm thinking, let's get done. And then at 12.50, he had a 10 to 15 minute invitation that no one came up for. You say, wow, a preacher feels that way sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're feeling right now. Okay, we're there. There. I, I, I feel for you. I understand. Okay. Um, here's the truth. I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. My, my, my feelings were wrong. I, I should have and I could have gotten something from the word had I put aside myself. But what happened that day was myopia. And when I became focused on myself, Nothing else was important. And here's the truth. That's often how I live life when it comes to sharing the gospel. I just get to doing my own thing and, and having my own feelings and my own thoughts about this. Well, that guy, it's evident. He goes to church. He'll never come to faith in Christ. And yeah, everyone around here goes to church, so why should I give out a tract? Everyone knows religious things around here. I mean, most everyone has a church that they go to already, so so why do I need to be a witness? And and look, when it's your meat, you need to be thinking about it above other things. And whether that's food or whether that's where someone already stands spiritually so you can excuse not being a witness, or whether that's I've got to be at such and such a place at such and such a time. Let me ask you something. here, And I say this in all sincerity. If... You're taking 10 minutes to share the gospel with someone could lead to their eternal life. Is there anything more important that you have to be on time for than that? And the answer to that question is no, nothing. It would be better. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it was an appointment to me with the president of the United States. There is nothing that is not worth taking 10 minutes to share the gospel with someone. But here's the truth. Our meat, many times, is not to do the will of the Father. Our meat is, what do I got to do next? What will satisfy me? And I find John 4 extremely challenging because my Lord says, this is how I live life. And he says, I want you to follow in my steps. And his meat, was to do the will of the Father. And he put aside how hungry he was, how, how tired he was, so that this woman could get eternal life. And get this, it wasn't just that woman that got eternal life. It was much of the city that got eternal life. Because he laid aside hunger and weariness to take three minutes to have a conversation with a woman and help her come to faith. When it's your meat, you won't let race, religion, or preconceived ideas hinder you from sharing the gospel. I just said this, but sometimes you look at people and you say, oh, well, they're such and such, so 
I don't know if sharing the gospel with them is going to be of any benefit. Do you know this this lady, even though she was she was uh, wicked in her life, still had religion. She said that in the conversation. Our fathers worshipped in this in, in this mountain, and you folks, you Jews, believe this. And you know, Jesus actually he answered that real quickly, and he ultimately said, "Here's what he said: The Jews are right, you're wrong." But 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 then he just goes on. He just went way because that wasn't his concern. His concern isn't look. Let's debate over what mountain we're supposed to worship on. What's important to you, lady, and what's important to me is that you find out how you can have eternal life. Do you have it? And would you like to? And I'm the one that can give it to you because I am the Messiah. Now, we don't say that, but Jesus Christ could because he was. Because he was. And so he shares with this woman, and he didn't allow her religious beliefs. Have you ever had someone tell you something like this? Well, well you invite him to church, say, well, I'm Catholic. Well, good. Catholics can come here because Catholics need Jesus Christ. At least a great majority of them do if they believe what their church teaches. Well, I'm a Mormon. Mormons need Christ too. So it would be a great thing if you'd come to church. Hey, you know, I'm Jewish. Jews need Jesus Christ. There's not a person you come in contact with. I don't care what their religion is, that they don't need Jesus Christ. Many people have religion, but they need Christ. And Jesus didn't allow that to hinder him. Jesus didn't allow uh, preconceived ideas. He didn't allow race to hinder him from being a witness. He didn't look and say, oh, oh, that lady's a Samaritan. Ooh, disciples would have. In fact, they wondered why Jesus was talking to her, although no one asked him. They didn't have the guts to go to Jesus and say, what are you talking to that lady for? For Jews. But... um He taught the truth that was brought out this morning in the book of Acts. You know what? There is no black and white in the kingdom of heaven. There isn't. In fact, a Christian is supposed to be colorblind. That's the truth. You know why? Because we all came from Adam. We all did. So so the color of someone's skin is different. Someone's nationality is different. Doesn't matter. All people need Christ. Rich, poor, uh, Italian, Greek, Russian, African. Doesn't matter who they are. Everyone needs Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't allow. When when your meat is to do the will of the Father, when what satisfies you is missions and reaching people with the gospel, then look, you won't let race, religion, or preconceived ideas hinder you from sharing the gospel. You know, I've I read an illustration, a preacher dealing with the subject of sharing the gospel. In this passage, said this, religion is a deadly detour. And he is right. Religion often is what hinders people from, from finding the true gospel because, well, we got a church we go to, and we've got certain things that they teach, and, and, and that is an excuse that often puts us on a dead end. That keeps us from eternal life. And Jesus understood that. And Jesus took the time to say, look, here's the truth. The the Jews are right in this matter. But what is most important is that you come to understand that I am he. I'm the promised Messiah. And that if you'll trust me, you can have eternal life. And may we not get detoured by other things. By the way, it's not a discussion of religion that people need. It's it's the truth of, of faith in Christ that people need. And so you don't get involved in discussing religion with people because discussing religion with people is useless. It's not your faith, your religion versus their religion. It's the truth that Jesus has eternal life by faith in him alone. And you can have it. When it's your meat, you'll be looking for opportunities and you'll make opportunities. I love this. We've talked about John 4 before. But Jesus talks about water and he brings the lady to the gospel. How, how amazing is that? Isn't that, isn't that just uh, here he is. He's talking with this lady about water and, and he says, hey, you know, I could give you water, life eternal. That's life eternal, that you will never thirst again. Sometimes we talk about the Romans road and sharing the gospel. It is good for a person to learn a plan. 
It's good to learn verses from Romans or learn verses from other places because the more verses you have, the more effective you can be at the matter of witness. But if you think that witnessing someone is going through a number of verses and getting to the end of that, then you misunderstand sharing the gospel. Sorely misunderstand. Jesus Christ never used the same method with anyone when he shared the gospel. Never. Never. With every person, he met them where they were and took them to himself. And he did it effectively. So that he comes to this passage, this woman's talking about water. Let me tell you, there's living water that I could offer you. And if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And he took her to himself and, and, and helped her understand the gospel. See, effective witnessing, being an effective missionary is not being able to say, hey, I knocked on 34 doors. I was able to get to Romans 3.23 once. Effective witness is standing at the, at the grocery store with a person that you struck up a conversation with and staring that conversation to Jesus Christ and being able to share some things about how she, um, with, with the, the thing that you were talking about, needs Jesus Christ. And that's why you and I need the Holy Spirit of God to give us wisdom to know what to say because soul winning is not coming out on a Saturday and knocking on doors at 9 o'clock in the morning. Soul winning is having God's will as your meat all the time and when you're out thinking about how can I steer this conversation to Jesus Christ and their need? That's what it's all about. And that's what Jesus was all about. When he preached, my need is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He expresses what our meat should be. This morning, that's the challenge. There are so many more things that I actually had to share with you today about this passage. We don't have time because you're thinking food. And you've stopped listening to me. But I think we've heard enough from and seen enough from Jesus Christ in his life to be challenged. I have. Because as I've asked myself the question this week, is that my meat? As I prepared, I realized that there's times it's not. And sadly, there's a lot of times it's not. I could speak of opportunities I missed this week. To my shame. Because what Jesus' meat was is what my meat is supposed to be. To do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father in this passage is nothing less than bringing people to Jesus Christ's missions. So, is his will your meat? Has it been this week that satisfies you? That you put aside other things that you haven't thought, i got to be here, i got to do this, i got to do this. Or you were thinking, how can I win this person to Christ? What opportunities will God give me today? I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be ready so that God can use me to to give living water to someone who's thirsty. Will you be concerned about the Father's will? What's your need? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Did John chapter 4 challenge you today? Look, it's not not about me. I came to this passage, and and I'm saying the same thing that maybe even some of you are saying right now this morning. That's not my meat. It hasn't been. And I'm convicted about that. Jesus Christ and what he did is not how I'm living my life. But that's what my father expects, and that's what my father desires. And his will is completely wrapped up in salvation of every man, woman, and child that you will see this week. That is what he lives for. He exists for. That's his will. Will you make it yours? Will you make it the thing that satisfies you? Would you say along with me that, Pastor, 
if I'm honest, God has greatly convicted me today that it is not my meat like it was Jesus Christ to do the will of the Father in this matter of missions, and God spoke to me. And I'm asking you this morning by raised hand to pray for me that I would be more effective in this matter. How many would say that by raised hand? How many would? Many. Thank you. Great. I'm glad God worked in your heart to that, in that matter. Now it's time to do something about it. Not just say it. Not just think about it. But if God's spirit worked in your heart, it's time for you to do business about that. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning in just a minute when we have an invitation after I pray to take a few minutes, to take a minute or two to get on your knees and to talk to the Lord about it. Whether that's up here in the front, there's plenty of room to do that. Whether that is uh, after we stand to, to kneel again by your chair and to talk to the Lord about it and say, you've shown me that, that this was your will, it's not mine, and it's not my meat, and I'm seeking to make it that way. But this is time for you to do business with God, and I want to urge you to do that today. Father, I thank